morning. Uh, my name is Ryan. I'm part of the, the family here at the Patch Chapel. And we just, we hope, our prayer in, in this, in our, in our community here, in our chapel, is that the moment you walk through these, these doors, that we hope you felt the warmth and the love of God. We believe we worship a God who has open arms and is all welcoming. And we, we hope that you, that you experience that here. Everything we do here on a Sunday morning is, is about resurrection and the worship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So with that, if you, when you came in, you should have been given um, a bulletin. Does anybody, anybody not get a bulletin? If you'd raise your hand, if you did not get a bulletin, we will hand one out to you. Okay, Mr. Grady here would need a bulletin. Uh, we'll get you a bulletin because it's important for several reasons. Uh, we want to let you know what's going on in the life of our community. We want to let you know that, that we are here for you, so our contact information is in the back. And some, some things that we have going on here, uh, the clicker here, up here. Oh, yeah, I got it right here. Um, oops, back here. Okay. Uh, choir practice here. Yes, you see our wonderful choir. Um, Eric's going to talk about that. Okay. Uh, Club Beyond. Club Beyond is the first thing. Yesterday, we had a wonderful football game. Grady put this uh, together. Grady, could you stand up one more time? If you haven't met our Club Beyond director, Grady Brown, he's taking care of our, of our youth. And um, yesterday, we had a, it was just like a last second thing. Like we decided, a handful of us decided to go up to the Black Forest Wave, and we went surfing last night in 46 degree uh, water, and it was awesome. So we're looking to make that, you know, an ongoing thing. If you would like to surf with us in Germany, we're like 700 miles from the nearest beach, but it, is, it, was, it was amazing and thrilling. Uh, we have groups for, for everybody. We have a men's group that meets at Kelly. We have a women's group. So if you just look at the details there, we have, we have everything. And I'm just excited about our, our, our ministry for youth is growing. For the middle schoolers and the high schoolers, uh, one of my kids asked me this morning, why? Why do, we, why do we go to chapel? Why do we go to chapel? What's well, a community, right? And, and everything, we, we're, we're trying to, like, we don't break apart the children in another room because we're doing this all together. Actually, when we gave you the, the survey sheets on, on what you like and what you'd like to see in the chapel, a lot of people said, I love the fact that I'm sitting next to my children in this service. And that's what we want to do. It's, 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 a, it's a family affair, and we're really giving the children... Uh, something to fortify your souls, which is Christ-centered living. Everything we do here is about the kingdom of God and about Christ-centered living, and that's the stuff that will keep us uh, stable and strong here on earth, and then we look forward to eternity with, with our Father in heaven. Okay. Yeah, uh, the details are in there. Look at your bulletins for more. Um, with that, would you please stand with me as we sing? Uh, hymn 314. Hymn 314. I'm sorry, 244. Hymn 244. Come thou long expected Jesus.
Please be seated. I'd like to call up Josh Walenda for uh, the reading of the word. Hello, my name is Joshua Walenda, and I'll be reading the scripture for today. The first passage is found in Isaiah 53, 7 through 9, which will be found on page 523 of your pew Bibles. That's Isaiah 53, 7 through 9. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. The New Testament scripture is Acts 6, 8-15, and Acts 7, 54-60 which will be found on pages 775 and 776 of your pew Bibles. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Syrians, and of the Alexandrians, and those of Sicily and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they were stoning Stephen. And he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. This was the word of the Lord. Thanks, Josh. And the next part of our, of our worship service is we have a time for confession. And confession is, is one of the most powerful things we can do as, as Christians. Um, this morning, I, I got in an altercation with a, with a six-year-old about get, coming here on time. And, and I was... And I, I did not handle it the right way, which always causes uh, more problems. If I don't handle it right, it causes, it causes more strife. Uh, all the way up to the parking lot here, and then I decided to engage in confession, in, like right before you walked in here. And I said, I was wrong, I did this. And it completely changed the, the atmosphere. It com- the uh, the the six-year-old who will go unnamed, uh, just calmed down. And he said, and then it was contagious. And then this person said, I'm sorry. And then we hugged and we walked in this building. That's how confession works. God has given us confession as a means by which a fellowship is restored vertically. And it's also how it's done horizontally. And I'll, re- I'll, I'll say the passage one more time. And although we hear it week after week, 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the ongoing ethic 
in the life of every believer is to look inward to say, Lord, I did this. I said this. I engaged in this. And then to move directly, if you look at the passage, the only verb that precedes that noun forgiveness is confession. So it's this ongoing ethic of confession and repentance in the midst of other believers. So we use this as stepping tone sometimes if, because confession to God is, is, I think it's easy. I think it's easy. And you move on to other passages, like in, in James chapter 5, verse 16, where it says, confess your sins one to another. That's when it becomes real. That's when you cross the line from God, kind of Jesus, kind of being my Savior, to being fully my Savior. Because when you start confessing your sins to other people, i.e. your spouse, your children, your community, then, then you start pleading to God, I, I, I really want you to be my Savior now because I'm about to say something that could end it all, that could change things, and, and it is where the rubber meets the road, to use that, to use that term. So we'll use this time now to confess our sins to God, and I would like you to move right into thanksgiving. Lord, I did this. And train, train your minds to go right into thank you, God, for your forgiveness. And avoid the temptation to say, I'm, so, I'm such a bad person. I'm so sorry, because that's where the enemy wants us. I want you to go right into what the word says. Thank you, God, for your forgiveness. And as the Lord brings these things to your mind, also think about the other people in your life that need to hear this confession so that you can be free and let Jesus be fully your Savior instead of yourself any longer. Okay? Let's take about 60 seconds. Let's go before the Lord in silent prayer for confession. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the privilege that we have to be able to approach the throne of grace with confidence because you see us through the blood of Jesus, through our faith in him. And so, God, we bring all of our our sins to you and we thank you. We thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, where fear is creeping in in our hearts, Would you set us free from those fears? Would you give us the truth that sets us free? Stepping into the realm of being fully known by our brothers and sisters in Christ and no longer living in fear. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and call up our ushers for today's offering. And uh, Eric, uh, since we have uh, something special for, for uh, this month's offering, Eric will, will tell us about it. Um, today's offering is a special offering. Um, we have a, a desire in our chapel once a month to give to a strategic ministry. The ministry that we're going to be giving to today is called Voice of the Martyrs. Um, it is an organization that for years, um, for years has defended the right of persecuted Christians, that has, has gone to the most dangerous places in the world, helped believers regain their life after they have been imprisoned unjustly or maybe mistreated by the government. Um, this is a fantastic organization that for 50-some years has, has done fantastic work to be able to defend the cause of the prisoner. So, if you are able to give to this organization today, we'd be incredibly thankful. The money that we collect today will be collected and put in a check and sent to the Voice of the Martyrs. If you'd like to give to the chapel ministry, I have to say this for legal reasons, you can give to the ushers in the back. We can do that separately. But today, the offering they collect today is going to the Voice of the Martyrs. So, thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your... 
practical care for a part of the world that probably doesn't get enough attention. Please be seated. Thanks, guys. Can we give a uh, round of applause for our cellist and pianist? Such a beautiful uh, combo. The duet, is that what it's called? Yeah, just awesome. I hope to hear more of that. Do you want to hear more of that? Okay. And we have a lot of talent in here. I hope more people who say, hey, I happen to play this share that God-given talent with us. Okay, um, next, we have been gathering prayers from you all, and I think we still are gathering prayers, right? We have about 60-something prayers. Our, our original goal, ambitious goal, is to collect 95 prayers amongst the body for, for Stuttgart. So I will, I will read, uh, I'll read four, four of them, and why don't we as you, as you hear this prayer, we can, we can bow our heads and, and pray with this person. There's four people who wrote these prayers. Let's just bow our heads and pray this with them as they, have, as they are praying this for Stuttgart. Prayer number 27. My prayer for Stuttgart, that all of us would believe that we belong and are important in the part of the community. Prayer 28. I pray that Stuttgart's faith would grow over time. 
Prayer 29. I pray for the Stuttgart community that we may turn away from the sin that plagues us, that we may understand and that the political leaders may understand that the God of the Old and New Testament is the same God today, that the sins of the Old and New Testaments are the same sins as today. Prayer number 30. Lord, remove the sinful desires from us and help us become worthy of your blessings. Amen. Now I'll pray for our service. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the privilege that we have to meet in this building, in the safety of this building, that we are free to to learn, to worship, to study, Uh, to talk about Jesus, and it's safe. We know not everybody has that privilege as we are supporting the voice of the martyrs. We pray for the persecuted church, those who are meeting today, and they will pay with their lives. So we take full advantage of this opportunity to sit down and to worship together and to hear a word from Pastor Eric on Psalm 129, a psalm for a sense for those of us on pilgrimage as we do this journey life here in the military as it's moving us around constantly. May we reflect on the truths here as pilgrims and as people on a journey to the kingdom of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Eric. Just in case anyone might be joining our our chapel for the first time, or maybe it's been a while, um, we're teaching through a part a genre of the Bible that is called wisdom literature. Um, It's located in the center of your Bible. It's a portion of the Bible that helps us make sense of our life. And we are specifically in the Psalms. Um, The Psalms are fascinating because the Psalms give us permission to express every emotion that we have, even the hard ones. Uh, Psalm 129 has some of the most deep and painful, heavy themes to it. And I personally find it refreshing that God allows us and he wants us to express our hard and heavy, painful emotions. He doesn't just sweep it under the rug. But God allows us and he puts it in the center of our Bible to talk about and to sing about. So this is Psalm 129. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backward. Let them be like the grass on the housetops that withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder the sheaves his arms, nor do those who pass by say, The blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. So this psalm begins with a cry of complaint. Um, Let someone notice me. (laughs) Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. It's that it's repeated twice in the beginning. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. From my youth. It's an interesting phrase that's just at the end of that little passage there. God recognizes that sometimes the hardships that we have faced and believers have faced all through the generations begin with our youth. 
And I think it's wise that God has us as people investing in our youth. And I'm thankful that we, as a chapel, are investing in our youth. The pictures that we have, I wanted to show you a few of them. A picture of our children's choir, this, this meets right here. This is a picture of God's people investing in our youth. The, the football game that happened this past Saturday, that's fantastic. Adults gearing with youth. This picture was taken yesterday at the Wallenda's home. Parents opening up their homes, having a breakfast in the morning, investing in the youth because they resonate with the psalm that we know that some of our hardships invest in our youth. This picture was taken um, at Glenn and Rachel's house um, this past Sunday. I admire Glenn and Rachel for many ways all through the years. One thing that I admire about them is they stay connected with their teenagers, and not just their own teenagers, their teenagers' friends. And for several years now, they've done what any, any, any of us could really do that have kids. We can just open up our home to them. We can order a couple pizzas, which they do. Sometimes they grill out if the weather's good. And they pop in a teaching video and just get everyone talking. All of these adults in these pictures recognize the truthfulness of Psalm 129, which is greatly, they have afflicted us from our youth. And let us, as a chapel, keep investing in our youth. That's what God desires in us. Frequently, these youth say some very profound things. Um, this past Sunday night when we were gathered here, one of the teachers said something, one of the teenagers that was there said something very profound that caught my ear. Something that I think very connects to this Psalm of 129. Um, she said that in November, November is a month where we tend to think about suffering and death. I never thought about it before, but I think she's absolutely right. November begins with All Saints Day. We think about the saints who have died and suffered before us. A few days later, we have Veterans Day. We think about those who have suffered through military service. In November, we have elections and we have football. Someone's political career clear, clearly dies. Someone's playoff hopes usually die. Sadly, it's been a very deadly year for the Broncos once again. In November, we lose an hour of sunlight, the death of daylight. In November, we often see the death of nature. We have trees that are once green and full, turn to barren branches. In November, like, even like last night, I think we had our first freeze, 26 degrees. It gets colder, it gets darker, it gets cloudier. Kind of sad, isn't it? November is a month of suffering and death. And of course, in November, we have Thanksgiving, a time of feasting and celebration. But do you remember why those pilgrims came to America in the first place? It's because religious freedom died in Europe. These separatists were not, could not conform to the Church of England. Some were, they, they made their church services illegal. Some were jailed. Some were executed. And if anyone could relate to Psalm 129, it's got to be those separatists and those pilgrims that came across on the Mayflower. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. Sometime in your um, November of your life, um, I would encourage you to read a fascinating book. I have it right here. I'd like to show it to you. Nathaniel Philbrick is um, a really nice author. He has a really talented way of weaving in firsthand eyewitnesses' stories um, to tell a story. And uh, since today is November 27th, um, I have a, a little bit here I'd like to read to you that really connects to Psalm 129. It's one thing just to read the psalm and the text. But if you really want to get the, the heart and the passion of this psalm, Books like this that God has given us, I think, will help us understand it. On November 27th, 19, or 1620, um, the Mayflower was already anchored in Cape Cod in Massachusetts. And after 66 days at sea, 
120, 100, excuse me, 102 people in close quarters beneath the ship, underneath. Three pregnant women, remember, in their third trimester made that voyage. But on the 27th of November, that's today, um, a group was selected to be the first group of people that actually pushed out on a little model boat onto the new continent. Um, William Bradford wrote this um, from his journal entries, and he said that um, as soon as they got into the little, little boat, the wind was so fierce from the northeast, it actually pushed them all the way to the end of the harbor. Um, and it's there they spent that first night on November 27th in a little inlet that is now called Pilgrim Lake, um, but Bradford said in his journals that the temperatures dipped to well below freezing. Wet shoes, stockings began to freeze. The salt spray froze their coats. Try to put yourself there in that boat, frozen socks and coats. William Bradford also said that it was that night that a lot of the passengers in that boat began their small death. A slow death that night. Um, when they woke up the next morning, there were two inches of snow on the ground. Um, but as they marched up and down trying to find settlement up in the valleys and the steep hills, there's about, you know, a foot, foot drift of snow in certain places. But it was then that their leader, William Bradford, received a message from, back from the mate flower that said that his wife, Dorothy May Bradford, his wife of seven years, the mother of their, their son, three-year-old son named John, had slipped over on the Mayflower and drowned. I think the teenagers are right. Um, November is a month of suffering and hardship, and it's a time for us, typically once a year, to think about the most difficult things that Christians have been called to do. If anyone can relate to Psalm 129, it's got to be those pilgrims. You know, they were very religiously minded. They read those psalms as they went along the, on, the, on that ship. And they've got to believe that they would have read Psalm 129 on that voyage, perhaps somewhere on that new continent. Greatly, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, let God's people now say, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. What I love about God's word is it's so full of imagery, and Psalm 129 does not disappoint. In verse 3 of this psalm, we have an image of what God's people have experienced for the years. In Psalm, three, or in psalm 129, verse 3, we read, The plowers plowed on my back and made their furrows long. The long lines of a plowed field, just like the long lines of beatings that Christians have endured through the years. The writer of Psalm 129 could have been referring to the Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, perhaps others. All the other afflictions are faced by Israel since Israel's perhaps their birth as a nation. If you read the book of Lamentations, you've got to do that sometime in your life. It's just a, it's a vivid picture of what siege warfare looks like. Under Babylon, under King Nebuchadnezzar, when Jerusalem was starved out, Jeremiah was probably the, one of the last men standing in Jerusalem, and this is a few just words he wrote about what it's like to be starved out of a city. He said, I am a man who has seen great affliction and the rod under his wrath. I become the laughing stock of all peoples. All the, my enemies open their mouths against me. Panic and pitfall fall against me. I've been hunted like a bird by those my enemies without cause. If you want to understand, deeply understand Psalm 129, you not just read it in the page. If you want to feel what the furrows of like... I encourage you to read another book I brought to with me today. If you're brave enough to read this book and perhaps ask for it on your Christmas list, it's a book that actually goes back 100 years before the Mayflower. This book is actually one of the oldest books published. It was first published in Europe and is still being published today. The author is John Fox. He lived in England in the mid-1500s, the same time when Martin Luther was here in Germany. The original title of this book was Acts and Monuments 
of these later and perilous days. It's simply been called by a new name, Fox's Book of Martyrs. He said he wrote the book to actually document how Christians were actually persecuted by people who called themselves Christians, but weren't early Christians. And it's true, it always has been. There were people who grow up in Christian culture, who are comfortable in Christian churches, who are through maybe thrive in Christian culture, but really don't demonstrate the fruit of what it means to be a Christian, the love and the joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. They, they, but they don't produce this fruit, and they actually do more harm than good. I pray that's not you. But Fox's Book of Martyrs became so popular in the 1600s, William Shakespeare even used this book to write in some of his plays. It's actually quite explicit. It's not for everyone to read. It's very difficult to read in some places, but it's truthful. And when you read, you cannot help but be inspired by such the legacy of men and women and children, those which the book of Hebrews says so well, those of whom the world is not worthy. If you want to feel the furrows of Psalm 129 and be all the more aware of your brothers and sisters in Christ who have endured before you, I offer you just a a little part of this book I read to you today. Not because I want to shock you or scare you, but because I want you to feel the loyalty loyalty and the love that they had for the Lord Jesus and his, their devotion to the word of God. This is just from page 35 from the book. Four men and brothers working in high government positions. Their names are Victorious, Carfophilus, Severius, Severianus. They're employed in the high offices by the city of Rome But when it was heard that they were Christians and spoke against the worship of idols, they were arrested and scourged like whips, like catanine tails that had lead balls fastened to their ends. The scourgings were so severe that all four brothers died at the whipping posts. Next story. Timothy, a deacon in the church of the Roman province of Mauritania, and Mara had only been married a few weeks when the persecution struck them and they were arrested for being Christians. Soon after their arrest, they were taken before the provincial governor, Arianus, who was aware that Timothy was in charge of maintaining the holy scriptures of his church. And so he ordered Timothy to turn the scriptures over to him to be burned, to which Timothy ordered and replied, If I had children, I would sooner turn them over to you to be sacrificed than I would the word of God. Incensed at his answer, Arianus ordered Timothy's eyes to be burned out with a red-hot iron, saying, The books will at least be useless to you, for you will have no eyes to which to read them. Timothy's courage through this horrible pain so infuriated Arianus that he commanded him to be hung by his feet with a weight tied around his neck and a gag in his mouth, thinking that therefore he would overcome his steadfastness. Timothy's wife, Mara, who had been forced to watch all this, begged him to recant for her sake so that she not have to face the same torture. But when the gag was taken out of Timothy's mouth so that he would reply to the entreaties, instead of agreeing with her, he charged her with a mistaken love and declared his determination to die for his faith in Christ. The result was that Mara resolved to follow her husband's courage and to either accompany or follow him to glory. Failing to break her new resolution, Arianus ordered her to be given the severest torture as well. When their torments were finished, Timothy and Mara were crucified next to each other. A young couple, the custodians of the Bible in their church.
Sabinus, Bishop of Assisi in the province of Tuscany, remember this next time you go to Italy, refused to sacrifice to Jupiter, the supreme god of Rome. And he shoved the idol away from him. Whereupon the governor had his offending hand cut off. While in prison, however, Sabinus converted the governor and his family to Christianity. But upon their confession of the newfound faith in the true God, they were all executed. Soon after, Sabinus was scourged until he died. December 304 A.D. Just one page in a book. If these men and women were alive today, what would they say to us here? I would think that they would speak of the power of the resurrection of Jesus. They heard about it only a few hundred years before from eyewitnesses. But they would say that this power lived in them in a stronger way. That it wasn't just an intellectual belief. The living God, his, the Holy Spirit was alive in them, gave them a power that was not their own. It also reminds you that being a Christian is not just a choice you make. But God chooses you to be his witness to a very confused generation. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let all of God's people say, yet they have not prevailed against me. Are there still great persecutions today? Do we experience them in the West? They're not as direct. They're not as forceful. They're not as overtly aggressive as in other nations in the 1040 window. But I wouldn't say that persecution doesn't exist in here. It's just more subtle. It's just different. It's just subversive. I think just as insidious. In our culture, we don't murder living human beings. We just murder them before they were born. But in the center of our psalm, we have four words that ground us, and they are the rallying point for anyone who's read this psalm. Ironically, four words in verse 4. Four simple words to sustain us. Four words that will, that will give you hope and optimism I think there are four words that were meant for everyone on that Mayflower, the three women in that third trimester on that ship. Words sustained William Bradford in that snow. Words for Christians who are in high roles of positions of government. Four words that are meant for young married couples like Timothy and Mara, keepers of their church's Bible. Four words for you to underline and remember when you're trial and testing comes and it will come in one day and here it is the Lord is righteous underline those words come back to him in your day of testing the Lord is right and the Lord will make things right in the second half of Psalm 129 we have a reminder that, that because the Lord is righteous, everything not connected to the Lord withers and dies. It's just how things go. The second half of verse 4 says, The Lord cuts the cord of the wicked. Like a phone charger, like an electrical cord, like an umbilical cord. Unless you're connected to the power source, you will wither you will not have the power that will sustain you through life's trials. In verse 5, it says, those who hate God's people, those who hate Zion, those who have no connection to the Lord, experience shame, and they're turned backward. They're not looking in the direction of prosperity in life. In verse 6, it says, those who hate God's people and who are not connected to the Lord are like grass on a housetop. Not growing in the grass should be. They have no depth. They have no nutrient. 
And if you have no sustaining depth in your life, if we have no sustaining depth, if our soil is an inch deep, we have no nutrients sustain it. If your nutrient is just a 15-minute sermon on a Sunday, you're not going to be sustained. And then verse 7 says that those without depth, the reapers come and the bundlers come to gather for a harvest, and there's nothing there. But the most frightening part, I think, and the most sobering part is the last two verses of Psalm 129. Perhaps the saddest part of it all is that those not connected to the Lord will have no blessing. One more book I offer you today. This is a day for, I guess, offering books. It doesn't happen too often, but today it happens. You have the Mayflower, Nathaniel Philbrook, you have Fox's Books of Martyrs, John Fox, fantastic book. But the, the book that I might have you read the most this coming December, if you'd like to, is a book called The Blessing, written by John Trent, an old professor of ours. Um, the unconditional gift of blessing and love and acceptance. We come from homes where we miss out on a blessing. Or perhaps your mother and father never got it right because they never knew how to get the blessing from their parents. So we spend our lives trying to receive a blessing, trying to earn their favor. We do different actions, different works to try to prove ourselves. But this book is so helpful and has been for help for us for many of the years because it teaches you how to find the true blessing from your true father. And it teaches you how to be a blessing to someone else in their lives, someone in the next generation, maybe one of your children, so they don't end up just searching for their whole life for a blessing. This book is powerful because it teaches you how to reverse the curse and become a blessing. There's a reason why Advent is a special time for God's people and has everything to do, I think, with dead and cold dirt. It's because God has proved to all of us who are skeptical and who need eyewitness proof that he brings life out of dead dirt. And so ironically, he used a man himself, God in human form, who was beaten like the lines of a plowed field. The plowed body of Jesus. <laughs> he took the penalty that we deserve for our sin. But out of the dead stump of the ground, out of a dead tree and dead dirt, came a live shoot. That's the prophecy. A vine. Isaiah chapter 11 says it so well. There shall come forth from the stump of Jesse, that's David's father, a branch from his roots that will bear fruit. And Jesus picks up on this beautiful prophecy and says, I am the true vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me remains connected with me, who finds their home in me, finds their sustainment in me, will bear much fruit. But he's very clear. He says, from apart from me, you can do nothing. So, an invitation to all of you who are lacking connection, who are withering, who are powerless, who are fruitfulness, who don't have a harvest in your life right now, Jesus says, come to him. Abide in me. I am your true source of power. November doesn't have to be a month of suffering and death. Fortunately, November ends with Advent. <laughs> it is the coming. It's life out of death. And this December, I offer you opportunity to abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. Back on the back table, I have 30 little Advent devotions meant for you to take at home as a family. 
Maybe just yourself, if you're, by, if you're here by yourself, take one. But I've got 30 of them back there, and it's a, just a real beautiful and simple way to begin December with a little, a little story. Tracing through the book of Luke, through Jesus, through, through the advent of his birth. Take it on the way out. Enjoy it. A little advent gift for us to you enjoy. Hey, I think we have a song to sing. Let's close our time together. Let's sing the second one up here. Is that okay, Susanna? Uh, we'll do um, the second one today. Um, because it's a beautiful song. Hymn number 314. Thank you. Okay, thank you for being part of our little chapel here. We're an imperfect little family here, but you're a part of us, and we're thankful you're here. We always got lunch next door. If you can join us, please do if you can. And thank you for your financial help for Voice of the Martyrs. That means a lot to somebody in the world. So before we sing and close our little uh, um, armed forces kind of tribute we do as a kind of tradition at the end, please receive um, our benediction. Know the words of the Lord Jesus. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. But anyone who does not bear fruit is cut up as a branch and they gather them and throw them in the fire and they're burned. But that's not you. Stay connected to the Lord Jesus. Let Him, let His Holy Spirit, bear fruit through you. Have a wonderful week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.